Rusty Quill presents. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. I'm your host, Tyler Bell, writer, creator, producer behind the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Dark Fiction Podcast. Just as a reminder for anyone else that's here, normally, if you are here for the fiction version of this podcast, the typical episodes, this is not one of those. This isn't a trick. This is just a little bit of bonus content that comes every month free to all listeners where I talk about some horror 
literature, video games, whatever that I've experienced in the last month. And before we get into today's episode, I'm just going to break down a little bit about what's been going on with me and why some stuff has been late. Because I know not everybody's up on the socials and um, the just the other avenues in general where I put out content and information. So if you uh, if you don't know and if you want to know, we want to be in the know, please follow me on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales. I'm on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, just search West Side Fairy Tales. And I'm even on TikTok. I think I'm West Side Tyler, which is probably almost next to nothing to do with the show, but still a good time overall. So um, with, with that sort of out of the way, uh, I double caught COVID. I know, I think I talked about this a while back. Um, I think even, yeah, I think last HLC, I, I was, when I was like in my, my false recovery, um, I, I double caught COVID. I don't, I didn't know that that was a thing that could happen, but apparently it's becoming more common now that people are going out and there's like a bunch of variants. You can, you can kind of just double catch it. Uh, which happened to me. So I, I had COVID for a week and a half, two weeks, got almost sort of kind of better where I was feeling okay. And then like three or four days after that, I full on caught COVID again and was just completely out of it for another six or seven days. The second infection was like nowhere near as bad as the first. Um, so thankfully, um, I'm pretty much good. I'm over it. I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to get back to the gym. So things will be on time again. It was just really the only reason you guys should ever care about that. Um, things are going to be back on time, but unfortunately, yeah, that just, uh, it came out of nowhere and blindsided me twice. And, um, I was literally too loopy to just sit down and edit audio, which sucks. But I mean, we are where we are. Um, also, just as a note, if you guys um, want to support this program and the West Side Fairy Tales in general, please just give a second. Hop over to patreon.com slash Tales and consider giving us a few bucks. And you can also go over there and we have free content on the Patreon that's also only on the Patreon that is sort of released there a little bit after the, the, the paying patrons get their stuff. So if you want some just exclusives in a general sense and a way to follow me and keep up to date with stuff on the podcast, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside fairy tales. And without that, let me tell you about today's episode coming up. We have just a quick discussion of two films. I didn't have a lot of other interesting things going on this month, at least things that I uh, finished in time to talk about them. And so these are the two most interesting deals I got. I got uh, something I really enjoyed, but is unironically terrible on one hand and something that is uh, apparently other people have enjoyed, but that I uh, hated on the other. And that is, that is Vivarium, the 2019 film starring Jesse Eisenberg and Mogan Poots and Wrong Turn, not in that order, uh, Wrong Turn, the 2003 film starring Elijah Dushku and, oh my God, so many other people that were famous in the late 2010s. Emmanuel Shirkwi, Shirkwi, yeah, I think that's a, Jeremy Sisto, Desmond Harrington. Uh, it's just a bunch of dudes, yeah, a bunch of dudes and ladies. Um, the most early 2000s uh, horror movie ever, possibly. Um, 
so yeah. We really just got to get right into it when it comes to Vivarium. Again, Vivarium is a 2019 film starring uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Mogan Poots, Imogen Poots. I I can't say her name right, and I might never, ever be able to. Um, I'm sorry for that, Imogen, 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 Imogen Poots. I just call her Poots from now on. Poots and Eisenberg, hell, hell yeah. And they're basically the only cast, they're the only cast that's considered like starring, you know, so the only ones that get mentioned. We also have a bunch of people I don't know. Jonathan Aris as Martin. I think actually he's mildly familiar. Daniel, Danielle Ryan as mom. Josem M. Adams as police officer. Molly McCann as young girl. Molly McCann sounds familiar, but I think that's just incidental. Seen in Jenkins, Jennings as the boy. Ina Hardwicky as the boy. And Comb Theory as the boy. Older and babies. I don't know. All right. I guess I just got to jump in. So this movie is um, very... Obvious. It is the most obvious film in the world. I guess a good way to kind of put this would be I made a mildly, yeah, fairly viral TikTok. I think it's up to like 110,000 likes right now, which is the biggest one I've ever made. It's almost to a million views. So it's big, and I just don't stop getting notifications for it ever. And it's just me making fun of the intros to Vivarium. Vivarium has, I believe, people in the comments counted it. Uh, 14 uh, production distribution company logos before the film starts. So it's like, you know, nice long one, Lionsgate. And then another one, uh, I think it's Sabin. Uh, people have tried to force me to pronounce that one correctly. Sabin, Sabin Entertainment. It's what I know is Saban, Saban, S-A-B-A-N, which is the old Power Rangers uh, from back in the day, but apparently they don't own them. But I remember Saban films and I would that's that's it's that and then fucking Power Rangers baby and then it just gets into a million goddamn individuals film Ireland film France film Sweden and the ends with ping pong films before you finally get into it I call the movie mid in this TikTok and people were ass blasted about that <laughs> Uh, The general consensus is, I believe, that the film was mid to the worst movie anyone's ever seen. My opinion is the movie is mid. Mid does not mean bad. Mid means it's like maybe, yeah, like a six, which I think the general, the overall consensus is that it's uh, like a six, six, seven. Actually, I might be more like a five on it, unironically, which is right next to like unironically bad. Mostly it's shit though it's mostly a bad film uh and i'll just hop into it plot wise by the way this review as all reviews contains spoilers so if you want to watch this piece of shit uh, turn this off i think it's on amazon prime video hop on over there and uh (laughs) get you a fat dose of of vivarium um the movie starts with a spoiler it's pretty obvious, and it's one of those things that it's done so directly that it is kind of painful. Um, it it depicts cuckoos kicking one of the 
basically cuckoos kicking other birds out of a nest. They're parasitic. They're brood parasites is what it's called. And cuckoos, uh, they lay their eggs in other birds' nests so that those birds will raise the bird as their own. Okay, congratulations. You've now you've now experienced the entire plot of Vivarium. And I mean quite literally, beat for beat, over the course of an hour and 40 fucking minutes, the entire, the entire plot of Vivarium. From there, we are introduced to our main characters who comprise, yeah, respectively, uh, about 70, 80% of the entire acting cast and screen time is, is Mogan Poots, Imogen Poots, and Eisenberg. Poots is like a school teacher, I think, and she seems to be a little uncomfortable with children. Or something. I can't really remember. The intro is pretty dull. It's uh, It's got a vibe to it that does not hit for me. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's very similar. If I had to say it's the Swedish film vibe but done wrong. And that probably makes even less sense. But if you've seen a lot of Swedish films or like kind of just like those... Uh, you know, pseudo where there's Nordic Nordic films in general. So things like Druk and uh, let the right one in, which I'm not going to try to pronounce that goddamn Swedish name, you know, and various other ones. I've seen a bunch that are up there. Uh, what's that one? Force majeure, you know, they have this sort of uh, chill glassy quality to a lot of the, um, intercessionary moments between people. So, you know, you really do kind of see a lot of like clean action on film. I I don't know. I'm going to try to describe this better. So there's a lot of intentional uh, shots that are allowed to breathe and they're very clipped and moving, um, non-dynamic, but very informational, which is perfectly fine. Um, And in those Swedish films, they're done better i i don't know very much about the people that wrote this film and I, i'm not going to really try to look them up they don't have a blue link on wikipedia i'm fine uh, it's the director wrote this movie with his partner and um, they made this they made this film so you're introduced to these two uh eisenberg is uh, some sort of custodian And they unironically, I do earnestly believe that they could not afford a truck to film in. I think the car in the movie is the car owned by the people that directed the movie. I think it's their one car. (laughs) Unironically, I I don't know anybody who would be able. It is he is doing yard work with rakes and stuff out of the back of a like four door hatchback sedan kind of deal you know you know what i mean sedan hatchback i know how to say that car people please get upset with me in the comments about the way that i describe cars uh because i'm bad at it the the point is I, i don't know it just doesn't quite make sense and it does affect his characterization also uh poots is british everybody's british in this film um it takes place in some version of britain except for eisenberg who is an american i feel like an American moving to Britain to do yard work requires a little bit more explanation. It's a little too quirky for it not to be addressed. I don't know how to, 
I don't know how that was kind of just in there. It was very strange. I, it would have been better for it to be addressed more. Possibly it was, and I just missed it. But I don't think so. The film is very long. People drive places. It, it's slow. Uh, from here, they go to this housing thing because they're talking about moving in together. I guess they're moving, planning on moving out of his place and into a place together. I just, the, the, the setup doesn't really make sense or matter much, but they go to this building or this little uh, office, right? It's like a real estate office, which is a thing in America that has not existed since the eighties, I think. Um, and like to a degree, they were still a sort of thing in the nineties, maybe a little bit, but like very sparsely. And they were dying off uh, for my American viewers that might not know exactly what I'm talking about. And this might not be the case for rich people, but this is very much the case for everybody that lives in my housing bracket, which is, uh, Almost all of America, like 98% of America is in the same housing bracket as me. So um, these are old real estate offices are not what you're thinking about. It's not like a real estate office like in America where you go in, there's some realtors. If you walk into a fucking real estate office in America anymore um, and it, it, they would have like model homes and stuff and they would have a selection of miniatures that you could look at and they would show you how they were modular and how they could be built and like what different plots of land to be built on. And like, they would show you the plots themselves. Um, they don't do this in America anymore, except for possibly for extremely rich people. I think I saw this shit in like an episode of entourage when they're talking about building a mansion, you know, from scratch, which makes sense because then you need the architecturals for that in America. If you don't know if you're from out of state or whatever, we have two ways of home construction. The first and most common right now, uh, because of the way the markets are is buying old houses and, uh, doing minor amounts of cosmetic and, uh, necessary, like legally necessary infrastructure improvements. This is called flipping, which probably exists other places too. I just don't know if you call it that. Um, Flipping houses is the most common way for people to like get a house or for a house to be considered a quote unquote new to a degree. The other way are uh, manufactured subdivisions, which I guess this is supposed to sort of be like, but no one offers you like entrance into an area. They just pre-build all of these things everywhere um, we call, I call where I grew up, we called them Drees subdivisions because there's a company D R E E S that built them. And so if you lived in a shitty cardboard house called a Drees house, they're nicer. They're for rich people compared to me, but they were these, uh, all wooden plaster, um, shaky boys just real quickly thrown up. Um, a lot of them weren't even like, they didn't have like interior insulation and shit. So like if you, you stepped around downstairs. You could hear it upstairs. Other ones were built really nicely, but, uh, and generally you had like a manicured lawn and there was like a one, one road entrance into this place. So I, you know, I've been to areas like we're going to discuss in Bavarium, but the, the concept of an office that you walk into to look at these homes is non-existent in America at all anymore. And like 30 years old at its most recent memorably, like, and I don't understand because this came out in 2019. 
why anybody would be going into this office and setting themselves up like this. So it's kind of a dumb starter premise, but I guess if you, if you have it, like they're trying to be a little alieny and a little weird, but the problem is, and the biggest, biggest problem is um, that the, our straight characters who are our main characters who have almost nobody to play off of for the entirety of the movie um, to create a, a good reactive triangle, which I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. They, they kind of take stuff very um, just kind of like in, they just take it, you know, in stride. And so like walking into this little office, which is kind of interesting, it's like got all these, the vivarium color is this light green. I think it's supposed to evoke foliage in a tree because of what it is or, or something. I, I don't know, but they go in and it's all these same little houses on these little things. And there's one guy in a black or a white shirt with a little straight black skinny tie sitting behind the thing. And his name's Martin. And he is the one that leads them into the thing. He's the, okay, this is the first spoiler. He's an alien. It's pretty fucking obvious from the way he acts. He's got that, I don't know, I guess it's more common in Britain, but he looks like a madman, madman character. His hair is kind of like slick to the side. Um, but I think that that sort of like hairstyle is still like popular to some degree amongst like posh bureaucratic types in England. I've seen it in other more modern movies recently. Uh, not a very American thing, but it doesn't take place in America. So I, I don't know. I guess I kind of in a general sense, I'm interested in this, but Jesse Eisenberg as an American, it would be interesting for him to be confused more in a general sense. I don't really recall it other than just him just generally being uncomfortable as like uh, as a guy, you know, just like shopping for houses with his like wife long-term girlfriend. I can't really remember the nature of their relationship. It doesn't really matter because it, it's not a very good one anyway. So anyway, just fuck it. They get to the goddamn vivarium area. A vivarium is just like a terrarium type deal. It's a, a thing that you look. Vivarium is like look inside area in Latin. So I believe or living inside area, but yeah, like it is. They they they're they're in a sort of terrarium type thing where they can be observed. That's it's in the title of the movie. It's kind of a rare word. To as an aside, to hear people on TikTok talk about this, their minds were fucking obliterated, just fucking blown against the sides of their skulls, dripping out of their ears, blood pooling in the space between their lips. Because they were just, they could not handle the fact that Vivarium was the title of the movie. It's in the title all along. It's truly been a Vivarium. I don't know. I, it's just, I, ugh, I get it. Like, it, this is a 19, by the way, this is a 1970s sci-fi movie that somebody just did not get produced until well after it mattered like, okay. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if the world's in a housing crisis also, but like in America, just like being able to go and live in the aliens house would be like a fire thing. <laughs> housing is so fucking expensive in America that these people would even just be dropped off and allowed to live somewhere it would be like a 10 out of 10 moment, but they get dropped off. He leads them around the house. They talk about it. They get a little bit of fucking little wine and shit, whatever the hell. 
And then they go outside and he's gone and they try to leave and they end up driving around in circles and they can't get out. And of course, this takes a long time. They are driving around in circles for what feels like forever. It might be like a five minute segment. They have arguments about not being able to try to get out. I, I don't know. I would have kind of been a little bit more relentless. You find out toward the end that this place is like a sort of pocket dimension where you have to be a little tricky to get in and out of it. But also like, I don't like that because the rules don't even make sense. Like how do things get in and out without you seeing them? It, it, the, the, the rule of the, the world that the vivarium exists in is just that if the camera is on something, it's going to be in the world. And if the camera ever blinks off of something for even a second, it's, it might be out of the world. Like it's the fucking, uh, weeping angels from doctor who law of cinematic presence. I don't, I don't know it, but it's, it's very irritating to a degree because it would be more fun. Just there's a bunch of movies like this. I've seen this movie before the matrix is this movie to a degree you're trapped inside a world that was created to maintain your existence for a nefarious alternate purpose. The Matrix is this film. There's a bunch of anything else that's similar to that is this same film. How do I escape? How do I get out? That sort of thing. And so, like, that should be a subplot is trying to figure out how to get out of this place, right? Wouldn't that just make any fucking sense? Wouldn't that be the thing you did? In my opinion, just any rational actors. But the thing is, is our main characters are not rational actors throughout the entirety of this film. Almost nothing they do makes sense. A lot of their actions serve to as continuance to the plot. Once we get past the immediate, they arrive. So after they give up on trying to escape from this place, which I probably kind of almost never would have, I don't know, but I digress. They find a baby in a fucking cardboard box and it says, raise the child and be released, which, okay. All right. If you're at like a eighth grade reading level and you just don't fuck with books, I get it. That was probably the wildest shit for you. If you're in your early 30s, mid to late 20s, having your first kid, I get it. Look, my heart goes out to you. That, you just getting your first allegory in the entirety of your life, fuck yeah. I'm proud of you. Me, the literature teachers that you ignored, all of the books you didn't appreciate up until right now, we're stoked for you. We are so happy that you would you have just joined anybody that enjoys stories at all up on our 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 two inch high hill that you are just now walking up onto. Everybody that is responding to this TikTok favorably for this movie is like, did you not get that it's actually a story? about being a young couple forced to raise a child? No. You don't. Also, it's about societal expectations of men and women that they might not like to rise up to that feel demeaning and maybe even draining to both the soul and the body. 
because you have to give everything to your child to raise it. Stunning, stunning insight. Now tell me, Barney, the dinosaur, was from our imagination. Was he real or not? (laughs) And you know, I I don't know. If you felt like a fucking genius because you figured this movie out, like, go for it. I don't know. I I, I, I got it. I got it on the first image of the film. I was like, oh, okay. So it's going to be about people raising a fucking kid that they don't want. I, I get it. And then like... They get you, you, you get it again and you get it again and you get it again through this movie. And like, I don't know, man, it's just like sniffing your own farts level writing to me. It's very obvious for me. And I, I not in like a, like, I'm so smart. It's like, I, like, I already get it. Like, I, 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 like, I feel like I'm sitting in the theater with the people that wrote it the entire film and having them nudge me constantly going like, did you understand that? Did you get it? The reference? The boy screams when he gets no attention and no food is what he eats. He eats their souls. Like, I fuck, yes, man. The man goes into the hole and digs every day. It's like the Sisyphean task of labor that a man is expected to provide for his family, but the exhaustive nature of labor makes him tired and cruel and angry and makes, you know, it builds a wall between him and his family. Oh, no, no, yes, thank you. Thank you. Please, please, more of this subtle, just paper-thin, like, really thought-provoking imagery. Can I get some fucking more, please? God damn it, dude. It drives me up the fucking wall. (laughs) I just don't think you understood the film. The film, with every good thing that happens in it, can be 10 minutes long. Literally, if this was a 15-minute, not even a full 30-minuter of a Twilight Zone episode, just one of them fucking 12-and-a-half-minute episodes, it would be fine. You don't need the entire first scenes. You don't need them at all. You can literally, here's how you rewrite it. If you're ever listening, here's how you do this if you want to be a fucking... If you want to just be better at writing, instead of the first 25 minutes, have them arrive at the fucking house. You can save on having sets. You cut off 20 minutes, the first scene. Up at the house, have that little squeak. Car stopping, have him in a fucking truck because he's a goddamn blue collar worker. At least he could kind of look like it. And then... Because the, the car that they have looks like it fits in that neighborhood. And this neighborhood is a gigantic green plastic monstrosity. Uh, people on the TikTok say, I've never even seen anything like that before. It's amazing. All these samesies houses. Have you ever lived in suburbia? I bet you've never lived in suburbia. I was raised in fucking suburbia. I'm American. It's hard not to be because of the car culture. I grew up there. Also, fucking goddamn Edward Scissorhands. Every fucking Tim Burton film, all of them, every single Tim Burton film has a fucking neighborhood like that. Beetlejuice, I think, has a neighborhood like that. I'm pretty sure Frankenweenie probably does. And I never even saw that stupid fucking film. 
I think that the one exception to that is is probably the ones that just don't get to the suburbs and still they have that same sort of vibe where you would imagine the suburbs probably look like that if you go to Batman and Batman Returns and 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 Sweeney Todd, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my fucking god. Jesus Christ. I hate it. I hate hearing people's opinions that like this film. It blows my mind because it can't just be like uh, some of them, some of them, God bless you, are like, hey, man, you know, I thought it was creepy and I didn't like that little kid. Fuck yeah. Good for you, dude. I get it. I get it. Weird that you liked it for an hour and 40 minutes, but still. So, yeah, you can make this short. You just arrive. Er, you stop in the thing. Oh, these guys don't look like they quite fit. Have the fix the color scheme a little bit. The light green is really unappealing to kind of experience it i know it's supposed to be but there's a better color palette for this than this like puce limey light green that's sort of over everything it, it make the characters dress a little bit better too like color wise so that they clash with the environment more like if there was a, a much more color indicative idea of the difference between the parents and the boy and the area other than the boys kind of like generally dressing in the white and black of the guy. I don't know. Maybe that's how the specific birds look in the real world, but I don't give a fuck about that. That's not as good. It's just having like much better colors. I digress. If the houses look like uh, houses from like the game of life, where like all of the terrain was like that limey green, but then the houses were like this brickish, but like still plasticky red. I think that would have been better. Are, am I crazy? I just need to look this up now because I'm, I'm losing my mind. The houses are fucking green, right? Uh. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm, 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 I'm like about to have a fucking stroke. Okay, yes, they are. They are lightish green in color. 
very plasticky, fake clouds in the sky. I, I get the fake clouds. Um, and they would have worked better too if you just arrive. But anyway, so you just arrive there, right? You get out. He shows you a tour of the house. And in those four or five lines, at least maximum of diegetic conversation, you can establish that they're a couple. He is, you he already know that he's kind of a blue collar guy because he showed up in like a fucking some sort of truck. You can call it as a lorry. Hey, we don't drive pickup trucks. Hey, we drive lorries. Have it be a fucking lorry whatever with two big ass chunks of PVC pipe strapped upward behind the cab. And he's got all of his rakes and shovels in there. Boom. There you go. There's the better car. And also you can probably find one for 2000 euros or whatever the fuck on a used car lot in Britain somewhere. You could probably borrow it from a guy nearby park it once and then just like digitally put it back in the scenes that it needs to be because you don't even need to be out near the car anymore. Take the car from them. They don't even fucking need it. Why is it there? Have the car when, if the car is gone and the guy that is so much better because then you can just have them running around and, you know, jumping around, running around. It's fucking great. Anyway, they have a conversation with the guy and he says, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Da, 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 da. And you talk and he's got the, the bag and they're like, well, you know, we're not 100% sure. And have that like little conversation end with them walking outside and the truck's gone and he's gone. And then they run around the neighborhood for a little while, just a little while, just like a minute. You just cut the scenes a little faster and it seems like a lot of things have happened instead of almost nothing. It's a, it's a trick called montage. And it's really old. Yeah, look it up. It's fucking great. Yeah, they used it in this old movie called Rocky, and it made it look like he trained for seven or eight months, but it actually only took like two minutes. They played a song during it called Eye of the Tiger. It was fucking wonderful. It's basic filmmaking. I feel like everybody fucking knows it. <laughs> oh, my God. So this bullshit fucking, you know, whatever. In the movie, it takes us almost a half hour to get to this goddamn kid i think so the the baby is dropped off here's your first mistake is the baby is dropped off and they're unsure about it and it's like raise the baby and leave and if in a better script they would be more conflicted about it. Me and my wife were watching this film and we looked at each other locked eyes and we both said we would kill the baby Almost instantly. <laughs> if I'm locked in your insane nether portal and you provide me uh, some object uh, as a hostage, I will fucking murder the shit out of it. I don't give a goddamn. Then it's actually fast in the film. They get the baby. They say they're going to raise it. And then it cuts to like the immediate next scene. And the baby is like a 12 year old boy. And then this is when you're introduced to the boy, which is, one of the most awful things ever how you don't kill it beyond me so it is the thing is based on a bird right the alien species is a bird species they look like humans the whole time except for some mild mild special effects I mean, as mild as it gets uh so he screams and he opens his mouth like a bird which it doesn't work Really? Because human mouths aren't bird mouths. So he just looks like a hungry, normal child. It's not, 
it's not as intense. A, a bird's open mouth looks like this fucking big compared to its head. Human mouths are these tiny little things. So it's like a little baby just like, ah, you're just like, all right, yeah, put fucking here, a little bit of food. I mean, I guess to a degree, but if you're trying to make him like unsettling, he's already walking around talking with this horrific man voice. He has a normal little kid's voice, very quiet. And then like an adult man's voice over the top of it. So he's like, I think his first line is like, Hey, look at me. I'm growing like a dog. And then my wife said, kill it. She just literally just said, kill it in my house, which I don't know. I guess that's the effect that you're trying to go for. If the, the point of this movie is to like make me hate these people for not murdering a child, it's fucking 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 film. But then you get into the movie at this point, And for the next like fucking hour, it's just them for some reason not murdering this child. I, I don't get it. None of the interceding scenes are of particular value. It's kind of like this intent to be domestic with these people trapped inside this house that kind of belies even the existence of what it's like to live in suburbia, you know? So like, which I, I technically still live in the suburbs. I live in a suburban area. If I walk out, of my house right now, I live on a street of literally 30 houses that all look almost exactly the same. Only they're all 120 years old. So they have a lot of affectations on them by this point, but still you see your neighbors, they do shit all the time. You gossip about them. One of the most insidious things about suburbia that anybody that's actually lived in fucking suburbia knows is that your neighbors watching you, is the thing that bothers you the most in a general sense, especially if you live in one of those nicer neighborhoods. You talk to anyone that lives in one. All they ever fucking can do is uh, all they ever fucking do is complain about their goddamn homeowners association. They whine about the, the 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 this guy. Oh, she made a snide comment about my bushes the other day. You know, and that makes you slowly go from an individual to to a conformist, which is a much more human story than um, uh, an almost direct replay of the life cycle of a cuckoo chick. I don't know. And also, and I'm very fucking sure about this, with the exception of a few brood parasites, almost all of them, the parents are fine after and go on to have more chicks because it does not behoove parasitic species to kill the host that's why they're parasites you know what i'm saying so as and i i could be wrong but i'm 99 sure because i was writing about swallows which is a similar sort of their their internal brood parasites they uh i guess that's a different word in general but um their brood exterminant exterminant brood exterminants I don't know how to say this right, but basically swallows, if a male swallow wants to mate with a female swallow, he'll just dead ass just kill every fucking chick and all of her eggs. So she has to be like really careful. And maybe the, I think even vice versa is true. Like the female will kill the eggs in another female's nest so that she can mate with the male. I digress. But um, yeah, so Jesus Christ. So let's just even talk about their day-to-day. -day. Uh, the kid's irritating all the time. He clearly goes off to school during the day where uh, Poots is left alone in the house, kind of just fucking around. I don't know. 
Um, this would be better served by doing like literally anything outside of the house. It, there is an in a inscrutable, just an inaccurate amount, an unokay amount of time paid between Jesse Eisenberg and Mogan Poots. Like Poots character should probably be the focus of the entire thing, considering like motherhood and child rearing is much more important in this case. I mean, obviously the connection between raising a foreign child amongst your own would be, you know, a, a thing. Also, they don't have children and aren't about to have children. So that disconnect is there as well. There's a lot of like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like if you, if you actually locked two random birds in a fucking vivarium with an egg from another bird, they would probably eat that egg. I don't think they would start raising it because they didn't have, they didn't mate and have eggs. They would find a nest with an egg in it and probably kill that egg and then mate and fill the nest up. If they liked each other, if they wanted to be, if that was a mating pair of whatever fucking bird, I'm just going to fucking guess that that's true. And I dead ass think I, I, I'm don't even want to look it up. I'm pretty sure that's what would fucking happen. So it doesn't make a lot of fucking sense why she's not killing this thing and a better script. She would maybe even have her own kids, you know, like why not have your own children? And then this, creature is raised with them. And then you've at first you don't mind because it's a baby, but it grows really quick. And then you find it being like mean and it like eats the other kids food and stuff. And so like your kids are getting like sicker and smaller. So it like, wouldn't that be first off just actually more fucking intense of a story. And also you can just do that. That no, my script better 30 minutes. All right. Full 24, the full TV run one commercial twilight zone episode, but like they get sick and just have the dad. He can be an allegory for just like a dad bird that goes away and sort of brings back food and stuff in, in, in the show. The food is just delivered to them. It's a fucking box of freeze dried and like frozen packaged vacuum packaged shit that's left outside every day. It includes like fucking, I don't know, uh, what do you call it? Like clothes and shit too. Like all the stuff that they kind of basically need and they open it up and they go through it. And I feel like they just do that a bunch. It's like a long montage. The entire movie feels like a elongated montage watched at fucking 0.25 speed. Crushingly boring. I mean, I, I, I was checking my phone during it. I was like just standing up to go get a drink doing whatever I'm looking at my rabbits play a lot. This is not a very gripping film. Eisenberg's character spends the entirety of the film digging a hole in the front yard because he sees like a flicker on the grass or like a, some sort of Brown patch in the dirt. And so he decides to spend the entirety of his film digging a fucking like 30 foot by four foot wide hole into the ground. And no what why because i guess he thinks he's gonna get out that way but like that's the dumbest fucking shit that makes no fucking sense there's no indication that these things went out through the ground until the end of the movie after he's fucking dead and i i digress and they still don't go under the ground 
So like your escape attempt is to go straight down. But that's just fucking bedrock after a while. Like you got to go sideways to dig a tunnel out of something like anywhere on earth. If you just start digging down, you're not going to reach a spot where you fall back into the real world. And if that's going to be the case, that needs to be a little bit more obvious. You know what I mean? Like that, that needs to be kind of explicated to some degree. Like the analogous nature of the film is not good enough to carry the action on screen. It does not for me and probably for all of the people that didn't like the movie, it really just does not carry enough weight for you to be like, Oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Like it's pretty fucking obvious what's going to happen. It's an unhappy ending film. Who gives a shit? Uh, European sci-fi is always an unhappy ending. I swear to God. <laughs> but he just digs down, he digs down. And over the course of like 40 fucking minutes, he finally finds uh, vacuum-sealed bodies down there and whatever. During the entirety of this, he gets like sick. Why he's getting sick, never explained. There's no indication of his sickness other than just a general unwellness that he's going through. And it's like it's not like I need this explained to me to get it. It's just why, like what in the fuck? Like they're just going to get sick. It's, it's convenient for you as a filmmaker for them to not be able to walk away from this, which would unironically be the much more interesting ending. It would be better than the ending that we get tenfold. Oh my fucking God. So what does happen is he goes down there, he gets really sick and uh, the boy, he dies, I think. And the boy is at that point, the boy becomes an adult that's going off to do stuff. I think there might be two versions. Yeah, I think he's like a teenage, like an older teenage, like a 19 year old version of the boy. And then like, but only for like 10 minutes. And then he is the like mid thirties version of the boy that is at the ending. But I, I digress. So he fucking finds him and then he puts him in a vacuum seal bag and uh, Jesse Eisenberg is unceremoniously uh, dumped out of the movie. And that's like all that Jesse Eisenberg brings to this film. And it's not that Jesse Eisenberg's like a bad actor or anything. He just literally has nothing to do this entire film but scowl and dig a hole. And I don't know if you want to say that that's a commentary on the modern American man. I think that honestly, you're a fucking dickhead. Like that is the weakest, most bullshit fucking. This is what it's like to be a man working for his family. That is that is divorced dad energy. The character and fuck it. Fuck it in half. Fuck it all the way out past the rim of the vivarium. I, I don't even know how to say that even more cleverly dumb is bad they wasted jesse eisenberg who probably was most of the cost of the movie um between him and immigrant poots but I, I know eisenberg's just a bigger name he's been in some of the biggest movies ever made that were billion dollar productions he was in the fucking social network he was in fucking adventure land zombie land was he in adventure land and zombie land huh zombie land too which i haven't seen yet and, you know, just a bunch of fucking films. Jesse Eisenberg, he's everywhere. But the, the he's just, he's wasted. And, and Mogan Poots, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen her in other stuff. And she's a, 
pretty decent actress, probably really good. She doesn't have a lot to do in this because she's her character's badly written. All she does is whimper and piss and moan. And for some reason in the middle of the movie decides she wants to not starve the kid to death when he's already very irritating. And uh, it's painfully clear that they're going to be kept there until they probably die. Very dumb. The only interesting part of the movie happens after Jesse Eisenberg's death near the end. And one little part, there's one good scene where she's like, where do you go every day? Cause she tries to follow the kid and she never sees where he goes. And that's also very irritating. That should be, if they had, if they were more clever, if the screenwriters were more clever, there would be a way to integrate Eisenberg's paranoia and obsession with escaping and tunneling the Emogen's desire to find out what the kid is up to and like learn more about him. Like if she wanted to be a good mother to him, which would make her a character because that would have been like a weird, interesting flaw. Eisenberg doesn't want kids. She did want a kid. She got the kid that Eisenberg doesn't want. And she doesn't know if she wants, but she tries to be upbeat about it. That could be a better story. That would be interesting at least to some degree, but instead she flip flops only once in the middle of the movie. And then again at the end, after Eisenberg dies, who like, I don't, but she's talking to the kid. She's like, "Where do you go? What is what? What is the person that gives you these books and these things say?" And his neck puffs up like a big bird. He goes, Wah! and then that scene ends with her like screaming, going like, ah! and he like clearly is like, "Hey, it's kind of fun that I'm scaring you." Ugh. Anyway, there's that one good scene, which is kind of like drags it a little bit out of the muck just because it was interesting like oh hey i've never seen a bird neck on a person before that's kind of cool and then um at the end she tries to finally murder him with a pickaxe which does show that they can be hurt but he is at the time now like a 25 35 year old man i don't know and she clips him in the back of the head with a pickaxe which he's actually cool with i wish he would have bled like because first off she hit him in the back of the head with a pickaxe it clearly hurt show us if these things can be wounded show us like some sort of injury actions have let me just basic uh internal logic of anything actions have consequences right and they can have multiple consequences not just like hey there's a large overarching plot thing but just little things happen if a guy walks through a snowfield in a movie, you would expect that he would leave footprints and that also possibly his leaving footprints would lead to some other outcome. Somebody follows him. He follows himself back. He tries to follow his footprints back, but there's more footprints. You see how those are all like things, right? So she hits this thing with a pickaxe. It screams and runs, leading us into our next scene. But there's so many other things you can do with that. Does it have a different skin underneath of its skin? Does it bleed? She can follow the fucking blood trail around and it could have led her through the next bizarre scenes, which happen. You know, things could have come of her hitting him with the pickaxe. She, in, he gets hit and immediately squalls and runs away. Blah! Like a fucking little monster. 
that was a chance for that actor to turn around and give some sort of reactive expression to, oh, my surrogate mother just hit me with a pickaxe. It could have been a, a knowledgeable look. It could have been a completely alien look. His neck could have bulged up and he could have like done the really big scream. He could have seemed coward. He could have seemed betrayed. He could have had all of these potential reactions to it. But as far as I know, it's just, it, and I can remember, it's just bloop, bloop. Just runs away. There you go. And he goes and he picks up the edge of the sidewalk like it's a rug and then crawls away underneath it on all fours. Cool. All right. Hey, that was the first interesting thing to happen in 15 minutes. And that that last thing, there was like a half hour between that and anything interesting that happened. <laughs> she runs after him into this weird tunnel thing. That that can happen. How that happens? Is he immensely strong? Is there like something that only allows him to go through there? Like Jesse Eisenberg spent the entire movie digging. He could have at some point seen the thing dig a bit or something of that nature. Like it, uh, the only really interesting sequence in the entire film happens immediately afterwards. She goes into this like extra dimensional space where she keeps sinking through the floor and seeing other families raising other versions of this baby thing. And they're all the same, like creepy looking kid with slight variations to how it's dressed. And it likes to watch the adults fuck. I don't know why I think that's just put in there to be weird, but it would be better if there was something interesting about that. And I guess it's supposed to be, you know, a commentary or some degree of comment on how they're being observed in their vivarium <laughs> title drop, but it, it kind of goes and it ends. The, 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 the color palette's very interesting. It's very weird. It's got swimmy, a swimminess to it. And she's constantly sinking through the floor, which is really unsettling. But then she ends up back in number nine, which is her spot, right? And because of, I don't know, rolling through that little area, she is now just sick, sick, like Jesse Eisenberg. Um, in a better movie, there would be some something going on with that sickness. You know, just like a little thing. Just give me some fucking good old-fashioned handkerchief cough with the blood in it. Something like that. But they're really just like... <laughs> They look like me after my fucking second bout of COVID. It's pathetic and, and, and really dull. And then so they get to her final lines in the movie and it's supposed to be. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be kind of like the entirety, like almost like an internal log line in a summation of it, like the real the, 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 the real the heart of, of the entire thing what the hell do they call that from a paper the thesis of the film and it's he is like she says something to him like maybe he's like why he goes oh silly mother don't you know that mothers die when they're finished raising their children or some shit like that and she goes i'm not your fucking mother and i think that's supposed to seem cool but she didn't really give off that vibe the entire movie like some parts of the movie to a degree, but she still tried to mother him and their relationship didn't seem like that. Now, again, like if there were kids 
and their kids died and they were left to just raise that thing because of, you know, whatever. There would be a much more like intense moment there, but there really isn't. It is a fucking wet fart at the end of a long dry fart of a fucking film. And after that, he, of course, he very predictably goes to the office where the other guy was. And I was like, I bet this guy's going to be over overaged and dead. And he is basically dead. It's the guy from the beginning of the film, Martin, who's now a million billion fucking years old, like half dead at this desk, which doesn't make any fucking sense because like this is a business front in normal world. So how, how are nobody else like walking in or like you only need one to replace them or like, are they all raising a bunch of kids and they're going to be everywhere? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better for him to replace a Martin we haven't seen yet somewhere else? You know, like, like we're, we're spreading. I don't know. That's just, that's just, that's just like a little bit of, I, I didn't get, I didn't get my movie made. I haven't really tried to make one, but I'm just saying, if you're going to try to write a fucking script, just maybe, just, just maybe just little things like that. Just make stuff better. Makes the story rounder, a little fuller, a little, a little chocolatey, you know, leaves a, it leaves a nice taste in your mouth afterwards. But that, that happens. He fucking puts this dude Put everybody into vacuum bags. I don't really, I don't, I don't understand the vacuum bags, um, but they do vacuum bags for everything. Also before this, he throws a Mogan Poots in the fucking hole that Jesse Eisenberg dug, which was for some reason full of bodies at the bottom already, you know, but then it refills itself and like just kind of like grows back and then the grass grows back over the top of it, which I think is just like a fucking cop out into half. Like, okay, I guess maybe if these guys are like super, powerful reality warpers uh, all right okay but then like why make the people raise your kids is it because you need them and then why like replace the people your own species like why do you live so fast and why do you care that much about knowledge if you like die in like three months i, I don't know I, I i there's a lot of Questions a better script would have answered before the end of this. But ultimately, yeah, Vivarium ends with that guy there um, putting on his little thing and waiting for the next people to come in. Like I said, again, just a fucking at best, at best 24-minute Twilight Zone episode. And really only if you made the, the, the fucking changes. The major plot beats are the they get there, can't leave, find baby. Baby becomes irritating child. Irritating child becomes unsettling teenage man while your man is too weak to maybe defend you anymore to your man's gone. This new alien is in house and also he doesn't care for you and leaves you to die. Uh, it's just, it doesn't slap dude. It does not slap. It's not like the worst thing ever. And Mogan Poots and Jesse Eisenberg do their best to act out one of the most dog shit scripts I think that's ever been penned in the sci-fi world with the intention that it was going to be this like really cool thing. I say it's got a little bit of a fart, fart sniffing pretentiousness all over it. Very, very thick with that cologne. And you know, there's nothing wrong with like really just having a lot of faith in your work, but I feel like this was ultimately just a bunch of powerful ideas that somebody had and they just didn't have the chops to connect them in the least like start to finish so dull such a dull film and you know not in a slow burn way the cinematography i should also say is fairly weak in this film it's 
I would say as good as the worst Showtime show, you know, like like anybody, you could pull any cinematographer off of like a, a Showtime, Skinamax, like softcore porno thing. Get them, get their lighting guy, take them here and be like, hey, you guys get a little bit more time and be be creative with it. And they will make the same film. Maybe even a better one because that nudie guy is just freelancing, you know, off. <laughs> He's freelancing uh, uh, outside of the union so that he can get a little bit more money because he wants to buy a fucking sports car or some shit. Like, and there is no, there is no like beautiful shots. There's no impressive moments. There's no great lighting, atmospheric points in the film i really think that maybe the guy held the camera himself uh cinematography is just basically trash it's just not good it's not good it's very often sort of uninformative almost all medium shots uh as i can remember obviously they can't do a lot of establishing shots because they created the most boring external shot external set ever possible ever so they're stuck with mediums almost completely or like a few like drone establishing shots that look fake as fuck um, early in the movie. You got the car driving around and stuff, but yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of medium, moderate texture, very flat, very uncolored. The lighting is extremely neutral. You don't get a lot of good shadow work. Definitely don't get a lot of like diegetic lighting moments, which really you need in a house movie. This is a house film. It takes place all inside of one fucking house. Number nine, Vivarium Lane, whatever the fuck it is. But, you know, in, in a you the most incompetent, the most incompetent horror filmographer still knows all these tricks because I feel like horror gives a lot of people especially if you're a fan of it, just a, a great intro into lighting that a lot of these people that try to make like frou-frou, uh, you know, fart sniffer films just don't fucking get. And like the most incompetent horror guy would be like, oh, what if they're having a conversation in here and just a shadow creeps up the wall behind, you know, down down this the the hallway way behind them. Like I've seen versions and variants of that shot in the most like 20k budget Andy CGI fucking birds in the skies movie. And there's nothing like that in this. There's a lot of close, medium, medium close, high close. Oh shit, dude. We're filming inside. Did you know that if we knock that fucking F-stop down to 1.8, we about to have a real thin uh fucking focal plane. Ah, eat shit, dude. I swear to God. 50 millimeter lens all day. 50 millimeter, maybe a 35, maybe an 85 here and there. That's it, man. Got three fucking lenses this whole film. No variable shots. No zooms. I don't think I saw a fucking focus roll in this shit. I don't think I saw light change outside of the one digital fucking maelstrom thing towards the end. It's just fucking dull, bro. And you know what? Hey, I'll give you the thing. Maybe it's supposed to be like that because they're in a terrarium and a terrarium has like one fixed light and all that sort of stuff. But even then, I... I have one fixed light over my head every time I go outside that I can't 
perceive the alteration of where it is in the sky unless hours pass. And still, so many dynamic things happen with that light. I've seen a lot of interesting fucking fucking terrariums for just like, you know, people's actual lizards and shit. And if they can make those things that interesting just so that they sit against the wall inside their fucking $800 a month apartment, I'm pretty sure some fucking people out here making movies in Europe could just put the fuck modicum of effort in to make the sets look interesting to some degree, man. But it's not. It's, it's, it's painful to look at. Not painful. It's just dull. It's dull to look at. It's dull to listen to. Uh, final comments basically on like the construction of the film soundtrack is negligible it's non-existent foley is non-existent negligible not very interesting sound engineering in general is just whatever man somebody some fucking lucky foley guy they were like hey we can pay for one take and that dude was like all right i'm gonna do it as quick as i can here's your there you go knock knock got a little oh there's yeah it's the car is moving all right Okay, cool. We're done. We finished up. <laughs> Just blown out. Hey, we got like three scenes where we got to make a cool fucking, uh, a cool sound. The guy's like, all right, cool. Did the next thing. Donezo. I think even the pick hitting the thing's head makes a metallic sound, which I liked because it's so dumb. <laughs> it just goes like, I, I can't make it with anything that's right next to me, but it's like a little chink. Gets hit in the head with a fucking pickaxe. I appreciate it. I always like to figure out what the hell. I, I, dude, just hit him a little bit harder too. You know, just get a good thunk, like a little fucking crack. Maybe knock some blood off, a little hair. And she could have looked at the pickaxe after she got this guy and just been like so fucking horrified by whatever alien material was on the pickaxe that she, ah, but she still chases him. Cause I don't know if she fucking got nothing else to do. Ah, Vivarium, man. U ultimately, yeah, at the end, just dull. I hope you enjoyed this review. If you did, <laughs> oh, uh, let me know. <laughs> I, I need to talk about a movie I really enjoyed, even though it's just unironically like a bad film. Like, <laughs> I think, uh, unironically lazy. I think it might be. One of the laziest professionally made films I've ever seen in my life. And we are talking about Wrong Turn, the uh, 2003 version. I, I, I guess they just remade Wrong Turn here almost 20 years later, which is insane to think about. Jesus Christ. But yeah, Wrong Turn from 2003, directed by Rob Schmidt who uh, also made Wrong Turn, Crime and Punishment in Suburbia. Right, I have a Masters of Horror episode. Oh, my man has no directing credits. Written by Alan B. McElroy, who's who wrote, uh, he worked on the Spawn franchise and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Wrong Turn. <laughs> Hell yeah. And of course, uh, starring Desmond Harrington. Oh, God. Who I'll, I'll explain. You guys already know Desmond Harrington. You know he's one of my favorite people ever. Uh, Elijah Dushku, Emmanuel. Shirkwi, who I'll say her name wrong the entire game or the entire episode, probably Jeremy Sisto, uh, and then also Kevin Zeggers and Lindy Booth, who both die uh, fairly, fairly quick. And they don't have, oh, I guess the, I guess Kevin Zeggers was um, Josh Fram in the Air Bud film series. 
That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think he's in. He says he was in Dawn of the Dead too. I think he's in one of the security guards. But um, Dawn of the Dead, T O O. Also, wrong turn, man. This came out. This uh, this this movie is ostensibly first and foremost shot in uh, or or supposed to take place in West Virginia. I'm just gonna give you the background. So so people go rock climbing in West Virginia, which is what you do. They say they're going to they're go rock climbing and climbing in a remote forest in West Virginia, which, by the way, uh, whoever wrote this shit never fucking been to West Virginia in their life. There are no really remote forests in West Virginia where there's good rock climbing. There might be a couple. But in general, the mountain state really, really loves its mountains fucking crazy i know you can go anywhere and you know seneca rocks new river gorge west virginia and you know there's even like other like tiny little parks everywhere the mountain climbers know it's there there is no like lost climbing spots in west virginia i mean there's probably a few there has to be a couple but in general people have been all over that state like all all the fuck over it and it's fairly populous like even if you get out to the most what you would call uninhabited parts of West Virginia, you're still never going to be more than like 20 minutes of a direct walk almost from another person. Like there's people everywhere. It is not like Montana where you could probably realistically find a whole ass mountain with trees and shit on it that no one's ever like, decided to try to live on because it's extremely remote and stuff like it, that. It just doesn't happen. West Virginia has been, it, it It was part of Virginia first and foremost, which I feel like people forget um, before it split off during the uh, civil war. So um, literally it was, it is one of the oldest territories for white people in America And also the Native Americans were living all in that motherfucker as well. Like it has been consistently inhabited by a shitload of people forever. It's got a pretty even, evenly spread population density. And the most remote places you would think, uh, they have a ton of people anyway, because that's where all of the logging and all of the coal mining happens. So like there is, there are no like, non-places i I just don't i i really can't hammer this home enough because this movie takes place is filmed in fucking georgia now of course the intro to this is literally the intro to hills have eyes almost shot for shot um except for instead of nuclear radiation causing extreme mutations which did happen in some of those pictures and hills have eyes are of people that um, had like post-exposure mutations or like in utero mutations and and died because of it. Um, In fucking wrong turn, they get uh, superpowers, super strength, uh, animalistic speed from inbreeding. It's just a series of newspaper clippings and like faux scientific journals and like pictures of people's weird ass teeth. Uh, <laughs> and it's just inbreeding leads to super strength <laughs> for fucking two and a half minutes. 
Oh my God. And that's the intro. That's the intro to it. And it really is just a cold ass, just a terrible, it, if you would have just said the movie set in Georgia, first off, it just makes sense. A hundred percent. Cause I could imagine somebody trying to find a remote climbing spot in Georgia because they, I don't know. They found a one big fucking rock that's out there and it is adorable. The movie starts, starts um, right after this or right before this. I can't remember if it's a cold open before or after the intro, but it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a cold open kill basically. And it's uh, this girl is climbing with her friend or boyfriend or whatever. And he gets up to the top of this, this mountain that they're climbing, right? This little fuck. And it's a rock shelf, just a flat rock shelf. Like uh, maybe, maybe I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you max 35 feet tall, which is hilarious. I have, I'm in Kentucky right now. If I get on the highway, I drive past rock shelves that are literally fucking twice that high. <laughs> Just immediately. You can see 150 footers, 200 footers. If you drive out on 64 heading toward West Virginia, because it's the fucking foothills and that's how goddamn big they get. It's just, they're huge. And so they're climbing this tiny little thing and it's so small and level. You can see that it's actually just a cutoff plateau and there's just hill. There's just, you know, trees growing. And I don't know how to explain this to you, but if you've never been in the actual Hills, you know, and in the mountains, uh, light doesn't look like light does everywhere where it's flat, especially around the side of the mountain, because the mountain casts its own gigantic fucking shadow that gets in the way of the sun at like midday. So sometimes you have light, but it's actually like light that's reflecting off of like the clouds and all of the Hills behind you that gets in there, or it's kind of shining down through the trees, but you can always tell where the next ridgeline is. And if you're about to hit the ridgeline, because it gets uh, light only at the very top. And if you're in West Virginia, if it gets light at the top, it's really likely you're not going to have a lot of fucking, a lot of trees up there. And then like, they're not going to go back very far. Cause they're going to be on the top of a pointy little fucking mountain. You know what I'm saying? Especially in the area where everybody's going rock climbing. But here you can just tell like, it's just more, it's just infinite, infinite, uh, it's just infinite fucking forest beyond here. And it is, the guy climbs up faster and he's just like a typical dildo, just a good old fashioned early two thousands dildo. Almost every dude in this film that gets killed is an, an early two thousands dildo. And there are, there are two of them. <laughs> Sorry. So this guy, uh, he climbs up his girls like what happened? And then he goes to the side and she's like, Oh, are you okay? And then of course blood drips on her classic. She's like, nah. and then she starts. And then I think he gets tossed off and like a big bag of shit hits the ground. And then she starts getting dragged up the wall and she's like, nah, nah, don't do it. Trying to fight her way up. And then she cuts her rope and starts trying to, trying to climb down and, and, and then she, I think she falls. I can't remember, but she dies. It doesn't fucking matter. The hillbillies got her. And, uh, and, and that's where that scene ends. And you're like, oh, okay, that's intense. And I think it goes from that to the, to the, to the terrible intro. And then we go immediately to <laughs> fucking, it's fucking Quinn. Uh, my, my favorite person ever, uh, What's his name? Desmond Harrington. <laughs> Desmond Harrington is Quinn from Dexter. 
And he looks exactly the fucking same in 2003 as he would five years after this playing Quinn in, 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 in Dexter on Showtime. Same face. I think his eyes are a little less squinty. And I think that's an acting choice because in this, he's not a cop. He's a doctor, I think. He's either a doctor or a, or a late, like a resident medical student. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I think he's on his way to like, I think he's actually on his way to Pittsburgh, which is like, okay, well, at least you have that. And just, I've been all over West Virginia, and it's just, the second they cut to him, he's driving an old Mustang, which is kind of cool, on a, uh, on a bridge. And it's a two-way, one-way, one-way, the other. And I just, the, bridge, the bridges like that just don't exist in West Virginia, not, not just the lane layout, but there's just no fucking bridges like that anywhere. And also when you look off of it, it's just not West Virginia. Cause if you're on a bridge in West Virginia, there is going to be all kinds of fucking mountains and shit beyond it. You get a great view, any fucking bridge, almost any fucking bridge in West Virginia, you're going to get a great view of something. I think the only one I can say you don't get a particularly good view of is like uh Kanawha Avenue bridge that leads up into the South Hills. Like it's like you can see the side of a train station and like a little bit of the river. It's not, it's not that cool, but um, yeah, it is what it is. There's traffic. He talks to some trucker and the trucker's like, ah, you're gay because it's the early two thousands. Like you look like a, you look like a queer. You're wearing a clean shirt homosexuals and he's like uh, nice talking to you too fucking Quinn voice walks back to his car turns around drives the other direction uh, whatever the fuck so that fucking that goddamn uh, that backup on the bridge probably probably cost them most of their budget if I had to guess because it doesn't get used very often we, he turns around and he goes to like you know the hillbilly gas station as one does that's out in the woods as it usually is and has like 1920s or 1960s like uh, bottle top gas pumps, the big ball on top, uh, gravity siphon pumps, I think those are called, uh, as one of those got a payphone on the side of the wall, a little map, and of course a hillbilly, a good old fashioned hillbilly. Now he's driving through just foliage that's just not West Virginia. I mean, I'm gonna keep saying it all the whole goddamn time, but it's just not. And um, he talks to this guy, and I never noticed it when I was a kid because I think I watched this on like a CRTV, you know, just a crappy old school 280, 144p. So you didn't notice then, so I, I can forgive it. But when I watched this uh, recently on YouTube, where is the only place that you can find it streaming for free? Uh, this dude is wearing the fakest straight up from a gumball machine in 1998, 25 cents in hillbilly teeth that say literally like hillbilly teeth in there. And you put them on, you can see the fucking paint around the gums where it tries to look like it has gingivitis. It's got two fucking teeth in it. It's the prosthetic is so bad and so fake. It comes down almost to his bottom lip, even when his mouth's not shut. They probably had to get him the one with the littlest amount of teeth so he could actually close his fucking mouth when he talks. <laughs> but he's good. He's just got the little drunk lane with my, my mouth half shut. Can I help you? You want gas? Phone don't work. 
Fuck off, man. Perfect. Just absolute, absolutely just grievous Appalachian stereotypes. But, but most common person in Georgia. Absolutely average, most average Georgia resident. <laughs> oh, my sweet Jesus in heaven. But they, he, he, he tells them, I, it's the, the good old fashioned, don't go down that road. You don't want to go down that road. And, you know, he fucking, he's got the map on the wall and it's this little detour that goes around an area and it's like a dirt fucking road out in the middle of nowhere that no one would ever be on. I don't know. Oh, my God. Uh, which goes in the next. So now uh, Quinn goes and he drives into the woods and we we start the movie proper. He <laughs> searching for CDs, by the way. He's searching for CDs under the trying to find. He's trying to switch out his new CD. Can't find it. Uh, goes and looks for other stuff. And I think this was supposed to be played for comedic effect. And the editor ruined it. The editor just absolutely fucked it up because he goes and he searches for eight things. And then he f- and doesn't crash. And you're like, oh, shit, he's going to crash. Oh, you fucking idiot. Don't crash. And then he finally goes eh, and adjusts his the two seconds for him to adjust his rear view mirror. Bam smashes into the back of this car going like fucking 60 completely collapses the front of this Mustang. He's bleeding. There's cassette tapes and CDs money strewn all over the road. Like literally then 25 cents worth of old cassettes and like just random CDs that you got from a bargain bin. Now it would actually probably cost you 20 or 30 bucks, maybe even like 50 bucks to actually get all of the fucking CDs and (laughs) cassette tapes that you need because they're all gone. (laughs) But it's just they're everywhere. The people weren't in the car, thankfully. Uh, It's a group of one, two, three, four, five, five uh, hot teenage 20-somethings. I think they're supposed to be actually 20-somethings, which is kind of interesting because normally you would have these people would be playing teenagers, but I don't know. So they're all out there to go rock climbing with uh, no rock climbing gear, and they're all just a few feet off the road from their car, and they come out. And, of course, Eliza Dushku plays... uh, It doesn't matter. She plays Eliza Dushku's character who is recently broken up, crushingly, hilariously hot, uh, and then Emmanuel Shirkwi and um, what's his name again? Jeremy Sisto are in a relationship. They play Jeremy Sisto's character and Emmanuel Shirkwi's Shirkwi uh, Shirkwi's character, and um, that that's that. <laughs> Jeremy Sisto is also a good actor. All of these actors ended up, um, except for the last two uh, that were on the main cast, they all ended up on Showtime and HBO shows. Uh, some really good ones. Within the next, like, four years, Desmond Harrington, of course, went to Dexter. Um, Eliza Dushku, actually, I'm sorry. I, I don't, she was, okay, she didn't really end up in anything. But she started, she was already famous. And, you know, after this, she was in, I guess, I don't know, on Broadway. Ugh, the Scribbler. Ugh, ugh. Jane wants a boyfriend. Eloise. Okay, she, okay, so Eliza Dushku was famous before this and ceased being famous after this. She just didn't do uh, she didn't do too much. I guess she was on True Calling before that. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like literally up into the year before this, and then I guess she probably did some. You know, I think she was an angel too. I, I'm not familiar with the entire Buffy verse, but 
Elijah Dushku is very famous, but she was not on any big shows. However, Jeremy Sisto was on Six Feet Under. He played the uh, mentally unstable brother of um, the one dude's girlfriend. I can't remember. Um, the guy who I liked the most, his unlovable, completely unlikable girlfriend. That was her brother who was actually kind of likable. And Emmanuel Sherqui was also a side character. She was uh, Sloane who's a reoccurring character on Entourage, and she dates um, Eric, uh, the best friend and agent of the main character. Can I remember his name? I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. It's been a long time since I watched Entourage, but hey, 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 I was in my early 20s once, and I reserve the right to watch Entourage if I want to, even though it's a piece of shit. I would try to make my wife watch it at some point, see how much she hates it. But they all meet up. Only, uh, only, only Harrington's character is injured. Everybody else seems fine, but the cars are destroyed. And so they're like, all right, I guess we're going to have to go hike to find help. And they don't go back in the direction he came where he knows that there is a guy, a phone even if it doesn't work, but a guy with like a car or something to some degree and, you know, access to a major highway, they instead decide to just walk the other direction that he was going. And of course that leads us into like hillbilly nightmare land. We do not see our, our inbred threesome until a pretty sizable amount into the movie. They, they, these, these people are talking to each other. Um, They kind of like do a little bit of exploration, trying to find shit, uh, a man or Elijah Dushku's character is fortunately recently single from a bad relationship with quote unquote, I believe some douchebag. And so she is potentially a romantic interest for Desmond Harrington, who uh, kind of goes around and glares at people the entire time. And he fucking, he's great. He's fucking great. So, uh, Jeremy Sisto and Emmanuel Shriek are in a, are Shriekwe are in a, a, a very serious relationship and, and, you know, they're all in love with each other and they have cute little arguments. Um, Jeremy Sisto carries a lot of scenes. He's very funny. He's very, uh, charismatic and he's really interesting to watch. He's pretty obviously, uh, freestyling through a lot of this and he plays a good, uh, any guy at all compared to Desmond Harrington, whose ability is uh, glaring at shit, <laughs> but he's fine. He's Quinn. He's my idiot. He's, he's the people's fool. And I love him. Uh, and Elijah Dushku is just, uh, she's there. It's a side note, side note. All of the women are unbelievably hilariously skinny. Uh, even by like mid 2000 standards. Um, and all of them are like, it is just, it's a very specific aesthetic where it's just like they're horror hoes. I don't know, but that like, not like they're not grimy or like prostitute, but they have, um, you know, low cut tops. Their hair is always perfect. They've got like a light bit of makeup on and all of them have that classic 2000s horror movie, small amount, like one, one sideways palm full of stomach showing at the bottom. Like, I think like literally every girl has like a different version of the exact same tank top on. There is nothing else. And of course, uh, tight, tight short shorts or tight jeans. If you are a responsible leading lady character, 
And the guys are just dressed like 2000s douchebags, which is fucking great. Um, f- baggy, baggy button-up T-shirts that are either buttoned up if you're future doctor Desmond Harrington or unbuttoned if you're fun guy Jeremy Sisto. And really shout out to Kevin Zeger's character, who is the first of the main cast to die. He <laughs> is wearing glasses. I'll put a picture of him up and the YouTube version of this that are the most 2000s glasses you've ever seen. They are flat all the way around. They're like super fancy. He's got the full swoop, the full fallout boy swoop hair over the top of these They're I think they're lightly tinted silverish. They are definitely his prescription glasses though. And they have to be just what the guy wore to the movie because they're never made fun of or like kind of acknowledged in any way. He's not supposed to be a funny character, but they are the fucking it's early two thousands, white boy, metrosexual cringe fucking perfect dude. Oh my God. Flat glasses is in. There's no, like there's no deviation between the rim and the frame or the, the, yeah, the rim of the lens and the frame. So it just goes like smooth and it is just like one smooth continuous surface. It's very close to his eye, almost like a skiing goggle, but also, but like flat money, the most, the most fucking 2000s thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just, it's, this movie is just like a time capsule. I think that's why I like it so much. Anyway, they go off, they walk down towards the hillbilly cabin, right? Meanwhile, um, Lindy Booth, who was our final female character, and she has such little characterization to her, she might as well be uh, completely ignored. She's just another version of the two more important lead females that is just like not the important lead female. So she stays back to have sex with the dude. Um, and she's just like, Hey, why don't you lean back against this car and I'll give you a blowjob?" And that's, I think maybe her last scene other than screaming his name and asking where he is, he gets killed off screen shortly after these scenes are intercut with the people walking. And then she gets the, uh, she gets the kill that I believe is in the trailer, the trailer kill, which is, uh, barbed wire across the mouth. Like, and, uh, and then, and then that kills her somehow, which is still, uh, not a way you can kill anybody in an, an amount of time that you would not need to like take a few naps and maybe have some meals during, unless like the barbed wire was poisoned. He just pulls it all the way back to the back of her jaw, splitting her lips. And then she just dies. Ah, it's not on her neck. It's just on her inner mouth. <laughs> She fucking kicks it. I guess you can make an argument that it snaps her neck or something, but wh- whatever, whatever. One of the, one of the, one of the billies gets her. Oh no, he got her. And, uh, the dude is just dead on the ground. And I believe you'd never see his body again in the rest of the film, which is fucking amazing. He gets, <laughs> he gets that bread, that head, then leave. <laughs> My man is just done, done with the film. They go and they find the uh, hillbilly cabin walking inside. Uh, I don't know why, but I guess it probably saves them. And uh, inside they come to find eventually that there are like bathtubs full of people pieces. And there's, there's a lot of grime and the whole, the whole refrigerator is just full of hands. I think (laughs) it's fucking just full of hands. They hide 
poorly throughout the house. Hilarious. Uh, Emmanuel Sharik and or Elijah Dushku and Desmond Harrington's characters hide underneath the bed of the hillbilly, which is also in their kitchen living room. Perfect. And uh, they bring the body, uh, Lindy Booth's dead body in and, and they butcher it a bit. They cut off like a leg and a little bit of blood falls on the ground. Somebody drops a bullet, and, uh, whatever. It's, it's very intense. Everybody has to be quiet scene. And they all just stay in the house until the hillbillies fall asleep. And then you start getting a good look at them, and they're all fucked up. They got inbred faces, I guess, which makes your skin super leathery and uh, gives almost everybody some variation of a hair lip. Hair lip, usually, by the way, with full teeth, which is hilarious. That's not how it works. Usually you have to get you know, usually a hair lip comes and you don't have like the teeth here or or they're like stubby. You need to get dentures to fix that or uh, or implanted teeth. I believe I could be incorrect about that, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, then again, everything that I know about hair lips is from the excessive talking about them in uh, in, in not Silence of the Lambs in Red Dragon, where uh, the main bad guys. Uh, got a cleft lip that's been surgically addressed and uh, he complains endlessly and talks endlessly about dentures and cleft lips. I know everything I know about cleft lips, but the, the hillbillies fall asleep and um, they try to sneak out past them. And then they look back and one of the hillbillies eyes are like open like that, which I believe is also a direct reference to the hills have eyes. There's a lot of hills have eyes in this, but it is also not as good and they don't have as many uh, good characters. The hillbilly characters are not great. Um, They're fun as monsters. There's one of them that has particularly good makeup uh, that you see toward the end or and, and just like he's got a good vibe, but they, unlike the, uh, the, the, the radiation monster radiation mutants in Hills have eyes who actually like kind of talk to each other and seem to have like a lot of interaction. You don't get any of that from these guys and, uh, they come off pretty dumb, but they do have guns, which is hilarious. And they go, they go shooting after these people and shooting uh, arrows and stuff chase everybody through the woods and then uh sisto gets shot with arrows pretty good kill um probably one of my favorite deaths in a schlock film like this it really does stand out and it stands out pretty well and i think it really speaks to sisto's acting skills and i'm surprised he wasn't in a lot more stuff but he does a good like uh, uh, his breath gets caught and then he gets shot again you can tell and he's stumbling and they don't do a good job of shooting it. They're a little too close to him. They should be further away, you know, to kind of show and like maybe even just a shot from behind the people. So you can kind of like see him staggering in the woods so you can tell that they can't understand why he's stopped running and why he can't like talk to them. And then you see him get hit in the face. It comes out through his mouth. That would be for the people. And then he falls down. You see all the arrows that are in him. money. Absolutely wonderful. Then, you know, hey, I guess you had a lot of good references back then because this is just after Fellowship of the Ring came out. So everybody was just like, they were up on that Boromir death scene. You know what I mean? Fucking, my brother. I digress. He dies. They uh, go, <laughs> they go run away and they go to one of the most amazing things that's in this movie. It's the scene that I remember the most. And they find a fire control station that's abandoned in West Virginia and they get inside of it in West Virginia, I don't even know if they have any wooden fire control stations anywhere. There are really, those are really a, 
a, a, a West Coast thing. They have those in like Yosemite and Oregon and stuff because wildfires are super, super common over there. I'm not saying that wildfires don't happen in West Virginia, but kind of all of Appalachia is pretty fucking wet and uh, fires happening over a gigantic swath. A huge swath of uninhabited forest would be extremely rare. Um, It would just be pretty crazy. And also, fire wouldn't spread there the same way that it spreads, you know, with like the Santa Ana winds and all that shit. I I, I digress. You know, there might be some, but they get up into it. And you do get to start seeing, they do these cutbacks where they show, they're like, oh man, this is an establishing shot. Look how scary West Virginia is. And the horizon, bitch, is flat. I mean, to left to right, a perfect curve over the earth, which when I was watching with my wife, who's from, from Charleston, West Virginia, she just went, well, shit, there it is. Like, fuck off. She was pissed about it. And at the bottom, they actually use the same establishing shot like three times during different times of the day, I think it is. And uh, they have a fucking swamp right there. <laughs> Like a fucking, like a bayou-ass Georgia fucking swamp, which I'm not saying there aren't any swamps in West Virginia, but I don't fucking know where they are until you get probably all the way out to like eastern West Virginia by Virginia, maybe down like by the, I don't know, Cumberland Gap or whatever the fuck. But I've even been down to war and I've been in the woods around there and I've been into the woods around Welch. And, you know, they have to have them. But generally, Appalachia is pretty high. It's high up mountains and so all the shit just goes downhill other places so for it to kind of collect is is pretty difficult i mean a lot of people build retention ponds and shit in the haulers that they live in so that they can have like they can stock it with fish and shit you know a little farm i digress but fucking hilarious it's flat after that they go that oh yeah sorry after this they go up into this uh this fire tower and it's burning down uh, because the, the hillbillies try to get in and they can't get in. So they go back down and set that fucker on fire. Everybody has to run out probably the second best kill. And also, it, I don't know what this mouth fascination is, but, uh, Emmanuel shrieks character sad about her dead boyfriend. She doesn't run away from the hillbillies fast enough. They get up into the trees and they're moving around like baboons. They're fast as fuck. <laughs> Shooting arrows at people, swinging axes. They get her right in the mouth and the top of her head stays on the ax. And the bottom of her head and all of the rest of her body falls down. And the hillbilly's like, ah! fucking does his little hillbilly scream. Fucking great. Absolutely money. 10 out of 10. Fucking loved it. <laughs> so uh, that, that shit, that, that wraps up that fight. They, uh, they, they, they finish it by uh, Quinn grabs a branch and pulls it back. And uh, Elijah Dushku makes the guy chase her through the things. And he hits the guy with the branch and the dude falls down through the trees. They try to get down. They had called, they spent like the night here. So it's like morning by this next one. They make a call to in the fire tower to like some cop and the cop shows up in an actual West Virginia plated vehicle, but it's like a fucking Jeep and uh, like an old school Jeep, like one of those, like with the swinging back things. I think it's actually a a version of a Ranger with a cab on it. I I don't, it doesn't matter. He shows up lasts two seconds and gets fucking clipped by one of the hillbillies fire uh, put in the back, taken away. And I don't know at this point, I don't know how they're ever going to get away with it and, and how people don't know that these super hillbillies are in the woods. 
over here. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be inferred by this dead fire tower and, you know, this sort of like isolated area that there, there's not a lot of traffic that goes there, but the cop manages to get to it pretty quick. And the radio equipment's not so old that it doesn't work, which is also kind of, kind of wild. I know in the West, those fire towers are only man manned for like a half of the year or whatever, like four or five months at a time. So I guess the shit could still be up there, but dude out here in Appalachia, like, I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't know. Then they go and they have the big firefight at the end. They'll go back to the hillbilly's house. There's a little bit of a scuffle because Elijah Dushku gets captured. They, there's some implied uh, sexual assault about to happen. She gets tied to the tree or tied to a bed with her arms over her head. And I think the dude licks her a little bit. I can't remember. Uh, but he gets deuced up by our boy Quinn right at the end. Dude loses his gun. There's a, Car crashes into the building. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. They shoot the gas tank. Typical 90s. Boom. Fireball. Oh, shit. These hillbillies are dead. They steal their car and leave. It's actually the, 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 the cop car gets driven into the thing. And it's got big-ass gas tanks on the back. They fuck blow the whole goddamn place up. Hell yeah. 1990s shout out. Staying alive in the early 2000s. Then that is, they drive off, and that's... That's not the ending. They drive off. They cut immediately to one scene. They go back to where the the hillbilly gas station is. He goes up to the wall, all tired. Quinn, which is great because Quinn just always looks tired. <laughs> he rips the he rips the map down off the wall. Uh, so nobody, I guess, will ever go back there. And he fucking they leave. And that's the end of the movie. Roll credits. One post credit scene. Uh, more cops are going to check out the hillbilly shed because I guess somebody was informed about it. They are spending way too much time kneeling down and then the cop looks back and it's the best scene in the movie. The hillbilly with the axe goes Wah! and does his little scream again. Axe to the face probably. And, uh, and then that's it. And it's just fucking literally a Breaking Benjamin song. Rolled in, dude. This was my... Second year of high school, back again, dude. Just amazing. I mean, like literally a Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, character was in there. Because Sarah Michelle Geller, I think, right? That's Buffy. I can't remember. I, I, I never watched it. But we got a Buffy the Vampire Slayer character in there. We got some future HBO Showtime people. And it was just, it was just a blast. Breaking Benjamin at the end. Unmitigated, like anti uh working class anti redneck stereotypes just setting fucking a movie in west virginia which is full of mountains and it's just in the flattest fucking place you've ever seen just like the fucking lowlands of georgia where they could only find one wall in the entire state for these people to climb up and uh there one one small hill to jog down very very small hill i think it's the same one is used twice actually once when uh, Jeremy Sisto's character dies, and then another time when the uh, the cop <laughs> the cop gets killed. I think it's just from a different angle. I, I could be wrong, but man, I love this film. I really do. It's not good. It is a bad movie. It is an objectively poorly made, crushingly lazy film. Uh, there's no reason to set it in West Virginia instead of Georgia. They make references to fucking deliverance, which takes place in Georgia. 
the city, the scenes settings do not look like Georgia um, or do not look like West Virginia. And it's just amazing. I love, I really just love this old aesthetic of movie and it's not good. I got to repeat that, but it does bring back like a little bit of a feeling. I just remember when somehow like every woman was unfathomably skinny, like drawn like a, like a stick and they all wore that same white tank top with a little bit of their belly showing. And that was just every slasher movie, every new slasher remake slasher in the early two thousands over and over and over again. And I really just, I appreciate the aesthetic. I don't want people to make movies like that anymore. I want, I want women to just look like women. <laughs> again. It's fine. The body types we have on screen now are, are good. They're, they're, they're much healthier than they were back then. It's just interesting to see. Uh, the fashion though, man, I can't wait. I need to get famous. I fucking desperately need to get famous so that I can make a boys on bikes horror set in the early two thousands. I mean, I already did technically, but, uh, in where I grew up where they have a lot more douchey fashion like that, just cause I want to go fucking so hard. I want to have a character work at a media play. Like I did that. That would be just it, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Getting Chipotle when Chipotle was like $4. How about that? How about that tie-in? Fuck your, fuck your fucking Mountain Dew tie-ins, Stranger Things. I want the world's most unasked for original Chipotle tie-in with the menu doesn't have like a million fucking things on it. It's like you can get steak or you can get chicken, bitch. <laughs> Nobody knows what it is. Nobody gets the spicy sauce on it. Man, my, my, my fucking, you want to talk about suburban, suburban ass Cincinnati. I went to a Chipotle that I had to drive fucking 10 minutes to, and it was still inside my school district, 10 minutes to get there. And it was sandwiched between a Best Buy that I shoplifted from and a Panera bread that I thought it was gay to eat at. That was the early two thousands, right down from a fucking mattress store, Bada bing, bada motherfucking boom every day in that bitch and i had the whitest the whitest of white boy orders at chipotle this shit is unacceptable listen to this steak rice sour cream and cheese that was it dude i couldn't take the hot sauce i'm a different man now i'm changed mas picante por favor like dude i'm up on that valentina i know it's not like hey all of my Indian American friends from Indian subcontinent friends, I get it. All right. You guys can eat them fucking bot jakla, jute, jute bakla. I can't remember. You can eat them hot ass goddamn peppers like straight off the vine. That would literally kill me. And you're just like, I'm good. Like I, spice level five. No, it actually goes to 10. Y'all motherfuckers are just too pasty to be allowed into the real section of the menu. I get it. But for me, all right, a little Valentina hot sauce, a little red at Chipotle. It was a big change. It actually fixed my allergies. Like I used to have crushingly, crushingly bad allergies when I was a kid. And it's because I never ate anything spicier than black pepper. Dead ass. I didn't fucking season shit. I used season salt. Lowry season salt. So whatever the fuck's in there if I wanted to season something. And then like. I started making friends of different ethnicities of all variants and variations when I was in the military and stuff. And they could not accept 
my cultural uh, illiteracy and they forced me to eat real food and it, it was it, it it bettered me as a human being but uh that, that that's it right there i'm gonna end this man you gotta check out wrong turn it's just so fucking good it's so corny it's so wonderful there's I, I, just go watch it i found out researching this that there's fucking six of these films seven now seven with the remake how how I tell you, I promise you, I will find out because I'm going to start watching the rest of these goddamn wrong turn movies here and there because I need to know. I need to know. And if they're, I think the next one was made in like 2008 after this. I just want to see the progression from the 2000s into the, to the mid 2010s because it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. But with that, I am going to be signing off. Thank you for tuning in as usual to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. I hope you had a good time. New episode of Sin Carriers coming out very soon. That is episode three introductions where you get to meet the rest of the cast, almost the entire rest of the cast. And, uh, and blood starts flying, man. It's going to be a real good, gruesome time. If you're not familiar with that, if for some reason the first episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club you ever listened to is this one, and you've never even listened to one of the story episodes, welcome. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Sin Carriers is a action horror Western from the depraved mind that brought you Monstro season two. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that fucking show. But the, uh, but yeah, it, it's an action horror Western. It's unlike literally anything. I think anybody has ever listened to or, 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 or read. I, it is something I have always wanted in my life is an action horror Western like this that's actually like really like like grimy like gritty my style uh silent hill silence of the lambsy type like cosmic horror stuff i mean i know there's like some horror stories set in like cowboy times but uh this is this is definitely something else and i think it's going to scratch an itch for anybody that's like me and has wanted to uh experience something like this all along so go ahead and check that out new episode coming very very soon uh, don't want to date the podcast, but that's going to be a blast. Hey, if you do like this and we are trying to make this the biggest year for the West Side Fairy Tales at all possible, if you enjoy this episode, pay me back for it. God damn it. It was free. <laughs> what I need you to do right now, just if you get a second, all right, I know you're, you're, you might be driving in your car, just make a little mental note of it. Even if you're at work, Go ahead and share this episode. Share something that you liked about it. Share something that you didn't like about it on YouTube, on Reddit, on Facebook, on your favorite your favorite spots. If you're listening to this on an app like Castbox, or I think even uh, uh, Pod Now, Podvine, whatever it is, go ahead hit a like on that. Comment, talk shit about it. Tell me I'm an asshole. That's fine. I like it. I'm out here. If you want to argue about stuff, did you like Vivarium? Are you a big fan of Wrong Turn being set in fake West Virginia? Do you not give a shit? Are you from Georgia and my hurtful Georgia stereotypes hurt your feelings? Let me know in the comments down below or to the side or maybe even potentially if you're using the worst possible podcast app, the comments above this video. <laughs> Um, also, you know, did uh, you check us out on patreon.com slash Westside fairy tales for early access to this stuff, ad free things. 
Um, you, you know, we won't get the pre-baked ads in that we use uh, on Spreaker to pay the bills. And um, you can get access to a lot of cool stuff. I've got the Lamplighter comic that I've been working on right there and in there. I'm going to be getting back to work on that pretty soon. Just have a bunch of work to do this week. And I'm kind of uh, I'm mixing stuff up. I'm going to make sure that I do a bunch of life drawing so that I can actually make people's chin connect to their shoulders with something that looks like a neck. Um, been having problems with that. But... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. I'm on there all the time. If you want to get a hold of me and talk to me about anything, Westside Fairy Tales at gmail.com. We're also on all of the social medias Twitter at WS Fairy Tales, Facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales, Westside Fairy Tales on Instagram, Westside Tyler on TikTok. Check out the viral tweet that's sweeping the nation. No, I mean, I, I got up to like maybe like. I think I'm at like a buck, uh, 120k likes, which is it's pretty impressive for me. It's definitely it's put my page over a million views, I think, by now. Which I hope that's the case because maybe I'll start catching on and people will see my other content soon. <laughs> oh, but all that aside, uh, I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in as always. And you know, even if you you don't want to take the time to share us, to like the episode, comment on it, rate it, review it, send it here, send it there. Just know that you being here at all, being here, hanging out with me, listening to me talk is the biggest reward I can really get. And everything else is really just second. So, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, 
and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.